0: documentary
1: yeah that's cool I guess
2: want well, to really impress
0: that special someone in your life and take them back to your place and watch the new documentary of the white stripes and the great white northern lights the way it should be seen
1: you bought the blu-ray but we're still in a recession
0: yeah well, you know
1: I'm impressed
0: rightfully so full HD 1080p resolution 5.1 digital DTS sound you've never seen or heard Jack and Meg. Alright, that's it. That's it. Right there. That's the stuff. Right there. Hold it. Okay. Hold it. uh, Hold it. And lie. Action! Hello from New York. Alright, cut, 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 cut. Now, I'm not sure you understand the severity of the scene in which we are taking the place in here. Now, what is your motivation in this, Sonny Jim? Listen here. My motivation oh. is that I'm in a city. It's New York. Yay! Oh, hey. <laughs> and they took my son. All right. What do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? All right. Yeah. Here. Set, set. I'm gonna set the scene for you. Thanks. I'm gonna level with you. I didn't read the script. They got a couple of gangsters and they came by and they stole your son. That sounds awful. And, and he... action. Oh God. There's my son. They just took my. Did you just take my son? You over God, there with a the camera. God, God, Did you God, just God, take God, my God, son? God, God. Can you? All right. Can we, yeah, can that's we, right. Cut. I'm gonna cut you. Can we bring you. in? Or my name right, isn't okay. Johnny Liberty. <laughs> Continuity supervisor. Hello. That's me. Continuity Supervisor, can you please explain to Mr. Liberty over here where he is supposed to direct his uh, his acting toward? This is a CGI character in the scene, and I need to uh, make sure that he knows where to look in the scene. Pay- Continuity Supervisor? Yes. Pay attention to the tennis balls, darling. <laughs> right, right. Okay, I'll pay attention to the tennis balls, all right? That's my son. That tennis ball is now my son. What's my motivation again? Your motivation is this. Your son is missing. The culprit. A weird little mutated blue hedgehog has taken your son. And action. Hey, got to go fast. It's topical. Okay, let's cut. <laughs> cut cut lights please. Well, that was There is a There's a bit in there yeah. somewhere. It's like There's like a f- a director who's going to be listening to this. Mm-hmm. That bit's like a geode, Paul. It's like <laughs> It's it's rough. It's craggly. It's downright ugly. That bit is downright ugly on the outside. But if you really. It will align your chakras. Yeah, but if you really just take a hammer to that bit and look on the inside, mm-hmm. you'll see that there's something there. Is it worth anything? No. But a, a child can bring it into show and tell and get, I don't know, a C. Yeah. It's a C worthy yeah. bit. My name is uh, Paul Kaminsky. (laughs) My name is James Kaminsky, and uh, we're your co-hosts on this improv show that we've created. Yes, and it's called The Third Men Podcast, and it's a Jack White history podcast where we go over Jack White TV and music and films and albums, and sometimes, James, the famous talk to us. Yes, they grace us with their presence. Well, this week, James, the famous is a very special famous. It's somebody we've been dying to talk to for a little while now. James, we're talking to director Emmett Malloy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who has been a Jack White collaborator now for a very, very long time. Like, not just... I mean, I think his first technical credit is directing the My Doorbell video for Jack, but he, it, as it turns out, I think he edited some of those earlier White Stripes videos as well, and boy, we had such a good time talking to Emmett. He's a the, the director of... More than one Jack White feature film, isn't that right, Jay? Yeah, his name has been on the tip of our tongues for quite some time. That's a lot of hard T sounds there that I wasn't expecting to come out of my mouth, but they did. But uh, yeah, mm. we've we've talked about Emmett quite a bit uh, on this show, especially with uh, in in context of Great White Northern under Great White Northern Lights. And kneeling at the anthem, the two documentaries he did about Jack White uh, as a a part of his uh, his directorial partnership with his brother. The Malloy brothers. Yes, the, the Malloy brothers. They're the phenoms of the music video and documentary world. Uh, and apparently everything else which you'll find out lots to get to today in talking with Emmett we're very excited and thrilled that Emmett joined us because not only did he work with Jack for and continue to work with Jack White for many many years but he is also responsible for some of those some music videos past some some stuff from our childhoods that have reared their heads once again and yeah Boy, watching his videography, filmography, music videography, (laughs) watching his work was really like peering into my own past because he has been around for a while now and, and just directed so many music videos. And guys, if you ever wanted to hear... A great story about how Method Man and Red Man smoked out a green screen wire fighting session. Don't give it away. You're in for a treat. Let's just say that he's directed quite a few songs that we have totally requested live. It is it is insanity. He's got some amazing stories and we're really excited to have him on the show today. But Paul, yeah. is there something we should stop doing Oh, James. Probably. You (laughs) did it this time. Stop breaking down. Stop breaking down. Please stop breaking down. Stop breaking down. Please stop breaking
2: down.
0: Well, James, stop breaking down is the portion of the show in which we go back and correct something that we got wrong on a past episode because... You know, we strive to provide you with the tastiest, most factual meat. I guess <laughs> love that fact in meat. podcasting form. <laughs> and this week, James, I don't know. There's probably a couple. But there's one I'm thinking of, and do you know what that one is, James? This one comes direct from our father and yours, Wayne Kaminsky. Uh, And I think Tam Davis as well pointed this out. a long time ago. And we just never addressed it. Yeah, I don't think we ever got to uh, (laughs) uh, stop breaking down. But now we do, and we are, and thank you, everybody, for sending this in to us. In an episode in which... We are going over the elephant tour, I believe. I I think that's episode 92, James. Uh, That sounds correct. I guess it's a number. As a man who just came from listening to a Sesame Street album a moment ago, I can tell you 92 is certainly a number. (laughs) What's your favorite number, James? Three. And I... Appropriate. (laughs) That's good. That was like... (laughs) <laughs> On the fly, I like that. <laughs> we we had mentioned that Jack White had changed some of the lyrics during this tour of uh, Seven Nation Army. He was saying, I'm going to Wichita, and instead of meaning Wichita, Kansas, as, as the song normally does, he said something that we assumed was Wichita, London, because he was in London at the time. Yeah, it was at the MTV Europe Video Awards, and they were playing Seven Nation Army, and I thought he was saying Wichita, London, because, yeah, he was in Europe. Yeah. But, no, it's it was Wichita Lineman. Right, which is uh, in reference to a Glen Campbell song. At least that's what Wayne here says. He writes, Jack White sings Wichita Lineman, not Wichita London. It's from a Glen Campbell song and LP called Wichita Lineman. Still on the line. And he repeats the, the lyric in the song from nineteen
1: sixty eight. I'm going to witch it up far from this opera forevermore, and the witch it's a lion is still on the line
0: Uh, And then dad does say it is from episode 92. So, Paul, you are correct about that. And your memory is extraordinary. What's your second favorite number, James? 33. And... (laughs) In no other context would that be funny. (laughs) Uh, 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 (laughs) And this has been uh, Stop a-Breaking Down. (laughs) Stop a-Breaking Down, will ya?
1: Stop a-Breaking is gonna bust your brains
0: you lose your mind. Well, James, your we got a we got a big old interview here. Yeah. with uh, Mr. Emmett Malloy. So let's We're very, very excited about it. I know I am. James, I've seen you more excited, so I'm a little worried about you. How are you feeling? Yeah. Third favorite number? 333. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say we get into the episode here so I can let you off the hook for naming your favorite numerals? <laughs> We would like to welcome filmmaker, music video director, artist supreme, Emmett Malloy. Emmett, thank you so much for joining us on the program today.
2: Yeah, great to be on this. Great to relive a seminal moment in in my life from the past, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
0: from the not-too-distant past, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: (laughs) I did. I did just rack up another one. I updated the relationship.
0: (laughs) 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 Well... We've been admiring your work for quite some time, so it is it is really great to, to be talking to you today. Thank you. Just going through your music video, I guess I, would, I can't really call it a discography. Videography, how about that? Going through that videography was like, oh my God, he did this? Oh my God, he did that? It's like all my favorite stuff from like a long time. So it's amazing to talk to you, Emma. Thank you.
2: Yeah, cool. I you know I look at that same list sometimes with a, a different, different version, version of, of oh, my oh my God, I did this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, you were basically responsible for all of total request Live at, at some know. point i know
2: i, I really I mean it was, it was a fun, fun era because, because the you know, know whatever, whatever there was, was just if you had a record, record deal you, you got, got a big budget for a music, music video and, and you know now i know that, that isn't so much the case, case so it was really it. a Prolific, prolific era of music videos that, that now being on the, the other end of it, you realize that that, that was a real, real like moment in time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do Carson's checks still cash?
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I was just fired up. I mean, you guys gotta know this but like getting a white stripes video at that time in that era that was just like you had gotten like a nike commercial you know you were getting the the best of the best and the pressure was real Mm -hmm. immense you know to do one because you were like wow how's this one going to stack up up to that that. great one that michelle Gardner did how's it going to stack up to all the ones that had been done so you really felt a, a ton of stress But if you were smart, you would channel that into a good place, you know? But I remember having a couple tough nights before each of those shoots going, damn it, what if I make the one shitty White Strugs video? (laughs) 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 It's going to be a terrible situation.
0: And then he just kept (laughs) calling you back.
2: (laughs) I know, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm right, but I think we might have logged the most... Um, White Stripes videos, which, or at least Jack White videos, which is an incredible, incredible accolade.
0: Yeah, well, if you count all of Under Great White Northern Lights, then you've got everyone beat by a country mile. Like
2: That's <laughs> pretty wild. I feel a lot of pride in that one, you know, because that, that really means a lot.
0: Well, we'll get to the Jack stuff. We want to talk a little bit about how you got started in filmmaking. Who were some of your influences growing up? And did you always kind of want to become a filmmaker?
2: no definitely not i mean we grew up kind of just uh my brother and i are los angeles kids so we we grew up in the really the middle of hollywood but weren't in the entertainment business at all my dad was an underground contractor so that's kind of was our family business and what all we knew growing up we even though we grew up in the middle of the entertainment business it just never really crossed our paths uh, in any way so we grew up just kind of sports kids and just pretty normal suburban type kids and we got into the business um you know out of college when i started looking around for a job you realize well the only business here is the entertainment business that's about all (laughs) so i kind of got the city from a very different angle yeah and so i was like you know wow this feels like a good job they they offer you free lunch and you know it was all like the food aspect of the entertainment business was the you know when you're like a broke younger guy like and somebody's got like free cereal you're like that's that's my career path
1: and so it
2: was it was kind of that simple where you know I got a job at an editing facility and it was right at the transition from like you know analog editing to um the avid you know so it's really just on the verge. I remember I was really there when all the places were kind of beginning to switch over. Right. So I learned on all the analog stuff and then started to get the tutorials for the Avids and literally had to be in charge of teaching the editors how to edit on the new stuff because that was kind of our job as a younger person at the company.
1: Right.
2: And so the timing of it was just outstanding because here you are being asked to be like to move forward really fast in this evolving company and business and at this point i was working for a company that did movie trailers and my brother brendan who's you know part of my partner in a lot that i do uh with the malloys and then we do a ton on our own as well but he and i both got jobs at this place and they did movies all kinds of you know big movies i was working on trailers you know for the thin red line and you know um John Travolta's phenomenon and Dead Presidents. And while you were sleeping, every type of movie, I was kind of in the mix. And in the in the company, that whole business was growing immensely. You know, this trailer business was becoming like, you almost became like ad agency. So it was a prospering business to where the owner was like, look, if you can learn how to edit, I will start giving you jobs to edit. So, you know, I just was able to i had nothing going on you know so i was like i'll sit here every night and learn how to use this stuff so i started to learn the equipment and i started to submit my you know commercials when when they had you know new campaigns and i started to kind of land a few and the boss started to tune in that i had good instincts and simultaneously my cousins are are also Malloy brothers and they're three of the you know really popular surfers of the past couple of decades, they ride now for Patagonia. They're the Malloy brothers as well, and our dads. The you know they're our first cousins, and they're very seminal figures in the surf space. So they were starting to pop up in all the magazines, right? As we were kind of getting <laughs> our footing in this business, yeah. And we started to say, like, I you know would call and be like, hey, why don't we make a movie? I got all the gear, and they were like, perfect. We've been wanting to do that. And so suddenly we were making surf films and that's where we kind of landed our friendship with Jack Johnson and he became part of what, like, when Jack's at a film school doing he can shoot film and all of a sudden all of these kind of like-minded friends who were doing well all within their little spaces of like entertaining, not even the entertainment business. We just started clicking and I think that's when I started to transition from being an editor Although I moved the editing really far forward, you know, meaning I've edited some of the early Jack White stuff. I edited I've edited most of our stuff in the early years and was able to edit the trailer for the Star Wars episode one. Whoa. I got to edit that trailer. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. You believe it's this boy? And got <laughs> myself to a good place where you're watching all these great films You remember, I remember getting all the dailies for that movie, The Beach, with Leonardo DiCaprio to edit the trailer. Yeah. And I got to really study, like, oh, wow, that's really interesting how they shoot a movie. And getting dailies, We started to, like, whatever. You know, I didn't go to film school. So I was kind of getting film school um, laid out for me within, like, a a gig, you know, where I was, like, part gigging and, and making now trailers and helping editors and doing whatever I needed to do to move myself around in this job and make a little more money. And simultaneously, I was like, I kind of want to be a director or at least work on our own projects. Even if I was like some other gig other than a director, I'm just intrigued now by like making things from scratch. you know. And that's how we started to get into it. And then those surf movies, started having good bands on the soundtracks, and then the bands would be like, yo, would you ever do our video? And you'd be like, sure thing, Blink-182, we will <laughs> we'll help you, you know, like, and they were just kinda, bands. like, our first video was for Unwritten Law, that was like our first one, and it made it, I remember it made it on 120 minutes, and it was like, holy shit, we've made, you know, we made it. Yeah, We got on 120 minutes. And it just took forever to, to find your footing as a director, because it's not like I had this really like, well, that's, that's the type of director I am. I think I'm only in the last few years gotten more refined. I feel like we've always kind of had to do so many different styles that, you know, whatever it just took, it's a forever journey, you know?
0: Yeah. A couple things to unpack there. Your family reunions must've been nuts, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, they were they still are nuts. What do you mean it
2: used to be? Now we all have now we all have kids, so they're even more mental. Um you can't avoid our family. I think people have started to realize that. I think even Jack White has <laughs> caught wind a bit, like, "Wow, your family's crazy." You're like the Kennedys, just not famous. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I agree. Uh, that, would that would be an accurate, accurate thing. thing.
0: Yeah. The other thing I was gonna say is like movie trailers. What a perfect training ground for what would eventually become one of the staples of your career, is which is music videos. Because talk about boiling something down and trying to deliver a visual to accompany like a theme in in the case of a music video it's a musical theme in the case of a movie trailer it's the the theme of the film so that must have been a great deal of training on your part to prepare you for that
2: yeah no doubt it it really was one thing you just always had to make even something that isn't interesting interesting yeah. and you started yeah. to feel yeah. the power of editorial in the back end i think that being an editor helped me be a good director because i've always been able to be very clear like we don't have enough you know like there's no way yeah, I'm not a yeah. delusional guy I really have a good understanding in post and my brother's always been a good writer so we also have benefited from like being able to help each other get better through each of our own skill sets as well
0: yeah well two questions real quick one you said you were a sports player as a kid what was the sport, and would you be interested in joining Jack White's Warstick Woodsman?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, see, okay, so my friends at Farm League, who, again, my cousin is an owner of that, they've been playing in these kind of semi-pro, that Texas Baseball League, and they played against the third-man team, so oh, wow. and, and oh, yes, wow. baseball was one of them. And I've got my kids laced up with war stick bats and everybody keeps like, what's that f-ing bat, man? That's <laughs> incredible looking. So I, I always spread in it. Um, but yes, I, I think growing up, I went to a Jesuit, a Catholic Jesuit school. You know, Jack and I have always seen eye to eye on the big Catholic family. I think that's ultimately why we've done well is that we have a very normal relationship in this artistic venture we more get down as like sons in big Catholic families. We, we've always been very grounded in our relationship. And I think I always find that to be something why we've done a lot of things together because I'm an easy going director, you know? I, I,
1: sure.
2: and I, I think yeah. we've always had this real nice human relationship and friendship. And I know Ian, his manager very well. He's a super close friend. So all I'm saying is I went to a Catholic high school and they had a real good football program It was called Loyola High School in Los Angeles. So I grew up playing football, baseball, and then on the West Coast, we play volleyball, which I can't speak openly about in most parts of the world. But um, out here, that's a valid sport.
0: Yeah. You've already mentioned a number of musicians that you've been involved with and worked with. You've definitely had quite a career in the music industry. Who are some of your quintessential musicians you listen to as a young Malloy?
2: Oh, I mean, when I was young, or are you <laughs> just now imagining I'm young, and young in spirit? When you I were mean, now kid. I'm kind of... Yeah, when I was a kid, I you know, I, again, I just... I had an older brother that just didn't really, like, was just a jock. I mean, if you could imagine Chet from Weird Science, uh, that's sure. like... Sure. My, my brother. Do you think they're having a good time being catatonic in a closet? Do you have any idea how disrespectful that is? So he wasn't like giving me loads of like, man, you got to listen to this, you know? Um, it was just like Charlie horses and, you know, Meathead stuff. So, you know, as a young kid, it was just a steady flow of classic rock. And then I got really into the Grateful Dead. Sure. Through. I went to college in the Bay Area, and that was just a rite of passage, you yeah, know. That, so I you know, do like it. I definitely, yeah. I got on a ten-year kind of like I just like the dead, you know, and yeah. and classic yeah. rock, and then I kind of started to snap out of it more, started to get into like newer versions. Like I remember getting really into Blind Melon, you know, like yeah. being like, oh wow, yeah. man, and then I think I finally caught. My own groove with music was more like pavement. That's where I started to be like, wow, this is the perfect, this is what I really like. You know, this is more the type of band that I'm into now that i am become, maybe I'm a teeny bit aware of who I am. Sure, yeah. And now I just listen to Kurt Vile. <laughs> hey, I,
0: I saw Kurt Vile when he was uh, around here uh, playing yeah, with Courtney I Barnett. See him. He's Barnett. great.
2: Yeah, that was a great show. I mean, they really felt like brother and sister. I really enjoyed. It. I think he, I think he played lead guitar literally through the whole set. Yeah, he did a solo.
0: Yeah, were you, uh, were you at the one at the church?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was there. Was yeah, really I was at good. that one. I know it was a great. It was <laughs> a great a show. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. And I used to play um, whatever um, sports in that church, you know? That was like, and I shot a Nike commercial in it, you know? I've got multiple <laughs> memories with that church.
0: Wow. Um, well, holy, holy shit. Um, well, it's that's cool. Let's talk a little bit about some of these music videos over the past yeah, 20 years because... You know, as we talked a little bit about before and during the call, like you were responsible for a lot of what James and I were were listening to for a very long time, and and still are. I have a burning question about the Limp Biscuit, Method Man, and Together uh, Now video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, got,
2: I got lots on that one, man.
0: My, my burning question is, please tell me everything. I
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll give you a lot. You know, that was a real fun run for my brother and I because, again, prior to um, meeting up with Fred Durst, we had um, only done small videos, and Fred and I caught a, a bit of a vibe on the Nookie video. around When they were releasing that record... He, he got, got on to me as an editor and said, hey, we're going to make this film on us making um, that record. I couldn't think of the name of that record, the one that Nookie was on.
0: <laughs> oh, that would be Significant Other, which I recall from the depths of my brain. Of
2: course, of course. And and I got it all now, too. It just all came flooding back to me. But but I was working on this documentary he was going to call Poop, and it was just a making <laughs> of, and it had footage from their past, and he was real happy with what I was, the work I was doing on that. And I was like a young guy, but I'd already got my hustle on trying to get gigs outside of my gig. And I got turned on to him just cause I had seen a few things I had done and was like, hey, would you be interested? So I took the gig and I was editing and then they went and shot Nookie. And I remember he brought it back to the edit place and he had a real big shot editor, music video editor on at that time. And he shot, that was the first thing he had directed was the Nookie video. And he wasn't happy with the edit, and the edit had to play on TRL like the next day, something real outrageous, you know? And so he was like, Emmett, get in here. And I I was more just like, I can't believe he knows my name, you know? (laughs) And and, you know, I, I didn't know anything about him. I wasn't into the band, nothing. I, I was more like, oh, this is a cool gig. I like, feels kind of like punk rock, you know. Um, I was just, I was taking everything at that point, trying to figure out what I wanted. And I remember he brings me in there and we watched a cut of Nookie and it was real unfinished. And he said, just looked at me and he was real straightforward this way. And I think it was a blessing and a curse. You know, with, with the other editor in the room, you know, do you think you can do better? Uh, you think you can make this more dope or something like that? And I was like, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, certainly I, I would give it a crack. And I said something sort of confident, you know, and he was like, good. And he just pointed at the other guy and he was like, you're fired. And Emmett sit down. And I remember I, my car got towed that night because I never left. <laughs> And I just plowed through this edit and made, you know, whatever was on TV or whatever you would see now, that's the edit. And I didn't do anything. It was a fairly straightforward video, you know, whatever. I, that guy would have ended in the same place. I, I just was brought into this dramatic situation. And, um you know, and then after that, he, he and I and my brother took on a nice relationship where he trusted us. And then it came down to do Rearranged yeah. and In Together. And we did them over the course of four days. So it was like two videos in a row. And he directed them, but Brendan and I got to come up with the ideas and, and wrote them. And we, we got to go through the exercise of doing a big-time video with The Keys to the Castle because Fred was so busy that he was all over the place. I mean, he was dating crazy people and... You know, he just had a lot, and he he trusted us. So Brenda and I really got to develop all those concepts with them, and and go out and, you know, more or less run the production, you know, like, we got to ourselves see how you make a big video, with work with a big producer, have an AD. I was like, what the fuck do you need an AD for? Like, what do we do? You know, and really, (laughs) you realize that they run the set, and all these things I never knew, at the level I had been doing things because we were more like, here's five grand, you know, make us a video, you know, and we would just go build the sets with our friends and And so we we did both those videos where they they get to the execution chamber and get drowned in the milk. Wasn't that
0: in like a submarine or something? No,
2: yeah, it was in the water tank at Universal. But we built a whole courthouse and, um, I mean, all that, you know, a lot. That was a million dollars to be spent over the course of four days. Just think about it. Um, half a million on each video, and then the Method Man thing came up, and I was able through the making of that documentary, I was able to watch him and Method Man record that track. I remember Method Man, I remember Method Man like be, you know, whatever. He was out of his mind, and he laid down that super good rhyme the whole time. I was like, How did they fucking get Method Man on this record? But they were so big at that time that you know if you paid the right money i realized that more than ever as time has gone on where there's always a price
1: right yeah, you know matter yeah, right.
2: who you are so anyways that video we got to develop and we had to use those wire rigs and <laughs> sword just would show up everywhere <laughs> so we had to work them in and they were kind of like almost like connected even though they didn't have much to do with it there was a little bit of a like at the end of one, it kind of rolled into the other one.
0: I remember that. And yeah.
2: I think my best story is that Method Man and Red Man just were, you know, I mean, they were nailing Heinekens and smoking tons of weed the whole time. To where <laughs> at the end, like on the wire rig, you know, after this big safety meeting, I think Method Man was, you know, I mean, he was at that age, everybody was wilding out. So he was just hammered. <laughs> and he gets up on the rig and it like flies across. And normally you're supposed to like do little ninja stops, you know, because you're like waiting for the end. He was kind of faded where you just fly him across and he would just react when he hit the wall. You know, <laughs> like boom. And they'd be like, oh, and it was just real funny because it was like so obvious that he was, you know, in no shape to do it. But it, we were just it wasn't dangerous in any way. It was just, yeah, he didn't yeah. probably laid out for us. And then my other favorite part is, like, at lunchtime, my mom was the caterer, of course, and we had this huge lot in the Universal Studios, and we were on one of the stages, and during the lunch, Method Man walks in and you just hear, all right, everybody, who took my motherfucking weed? (laughs) And you just hear everybody, like, dive into their phones, and every, like, uh, Limp biscuit manager is, like, texting their weed dealer from 10 years ago like fuck, we got to get some weed in here and I remember I was like I mean nobody took it it's just not so I ran in and I was like while this was going on I tore apart their dressing room and then was like where are those beers and I went out into the dumpster and found, found the Heineken 12 pack box and there was a huge bag of weed in it and I came like rushing in, like I found like the lost cat. I'm like, I got <laughs> Hilarious. And then you said some comment, like, you know, basically more or less to the extent of like, look, you found that shit. You know, like, <laughs> it was just like a hilarious moment. I just remember my mom, like, staring at my mom while we was yelling, you know, who took <laughs> it? And it was just kinda of over the top. Let's get it on.
1: 12 rounds of throwdown. Who hold crown? Protect
2: land with four pounds. Let biscuit. Get around like merry go What's the scenario? Coming through your stereo. Why risk it? Lifestyles of the prolific and gifted. Ain't essential vitamins and minerals. Delicious. Word on the street is they bit my thesis. Knocked out their front teeth.
1: Trying to taste mine. Acting like they heard through the grapevine. Don't feed it for the baseline. Two of five rhyme. Pharmaceuticals. Hard as nails to the cuticle. where you so I, that monster, she beautiful. Wu Tang and biscuit. roll on the set, kick a hole in the speaker, pull a plug and then Mike, So what's it all about? where we going
2: to run? That video was awesome. I, I mean, I felt like I. You know that was so much fun to do, and they were fun to work with because they were top of the world. You know, yeah, Yeah. they were the (laughs) biggest.
0: They were all over TRL. They were not to speak derogatorily because I had that phase like everybody else, but like they were what passed for rock and roll for a long time. Yeah, in in terms of like the mainstream appeal, which is why when Jack came along, it was such a jolt uh, to the system.
2: Yeah, well, hey, man, I remember. You know, because with Jack Johnson, I'm on the same timeline as. Jack White and, you know, something again, Jack felt like Jack White, a more meaningful phase of music, you know, for somebody like me specifically to me. So it was fun. And I remember Fred tried to sign Jack. I remember back in the day and I, I just don't think it was, they weren't a compatible. No, you uh, no, no, never, no. never saw it going there in the end, you know, but it was fun to see him react to his music the way he did.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm still in awe of this weed story. I'm sorry.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I, I, you know that. I, that One's like the shining jewel of my memory as well.
0: <laughs> you must have taught Fred something because he's on your path now. He's, uh, he's becoming a yeah, filmmaker yeah. in his own right. Um, For sure.
2: He was a smart guy. I mean, he knew what his fan base liked, you yeah. know, and he knew yeah. how to communicate to them. I, I, you know, whatever. I won't give him any more props than the opportunities he gave us.
1: Yeah, he wasn't the yeah.
2: nicest guy to work with, that's for sure. But I don't think that was any mystery to anybody, you know. <laughs> you know, he wore that on his sleeve, you know,
0: and on his hat.
2: Yeah, exactly. We got to do the break stuff video as well. That was filmed at my dad's office on his construction <laughs> truck. I broke my leg on that job oh trying to stand God. during. During it, I had to run to the hospital, set my leg, and then run back to do the whole shoot, which was, you know, whatever. These are vivid memories from my past. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, James, we've covered a lot in this interview already, but I just wanted to poke our heads in to just touch on a couple things that we've discussed so far that are just... Yeah, let's poke and touch. Yeah, (laughs) so I would love to just talk for a moment about how... The Malloys are not only film brothers, but they're also like surf brothers. And there's mm. like Malloys
2: everywhere.
0: Yeah, Paul, we're all surrounded by Malloys. If you look to your left and you look to your right, one of these people is a Malloy. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is crazy. Yeah. Their filmography really runs the gamut. So many surf films. So many music videos. Documentaries. It's Yeah. And as we found out, they even played the third man Sandlot baseball team. Yeah. I don't even think it was warstick, the Warstick team. I think it was the third man, what was it, the triples? Something like that. Yeah. Crazy. And Emmett got his kids all Warstick pets. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's great. <laughs> I just I just love it. Emmett, at one point in the interview, is like, Jack didn't believe him when Emmett said that Malloys are everywhere. And then he sort of found out and he's like, You weren't <laughs> kidding. It was pretty good. Yeah. And how about. That Fred Durst info, though. Ooh, yeah, that did happen during this part. And let me tell you, I went through a pretty mean Fred Durst streak from about 2000 (laughs) to about 2001. (laughs) So when he was talking about these videos, especially that some of the Limp Bizkit videos actually connected and were like, part of an uh, uh, an extended limp biscuit universe the biscuit verse yeah um, the biscuit verse everything started to rush back to me I was like oh yeah I totally remember that and I just love that Emmett was at the forefront of this that was in my ears and in my eyes yep. uh, Penny Lane style for uh what seemed like an eternity when I was a kid and I just ate it up so you know for all the for all the fun pokems that uh, that we have at that era of music for one reason or another, it certainly had an effect on me as a kid, and and so I want to thank Emmett for just providing the visuals that accompanied so much of my childhood because they're they're just they're ingrained on the old on the old noggin there they're not going anywhere yeah so uh, let's all raise a glass of our hot dog flavored water and toast to the Malloys <laughs> well they. I don't even think we got to a lot of this on the on the podcast itself, but it just James, I just want to run down a couple of these because I don't think we actually talked about all of these on the show. So they did, and together now from Limp Bizkit, we talked about Foo Fighters' breakout, great one, Blink One Eighty Two, The Rock Show. Weedus, a little respect. Do you remember Weedus had? Uh, I'm just a teenage dude, oh, yeah, baby. Oh yeah, 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 We have Blake 182 two first date. We have Avril Levine's Complicated, which was huge. I think we talked about that one a little on the show. Mm-hmm. Crazy Town's Drowning, Saint Anger from Metallica, nice, which I remember very well. <laughs> Black Eyed Peas, Shut Up. We have Ben Harper and the Innocent Criminals live at the Hollywood Bowl. We have another Metallica one, The Unnamed Feeling. We have Cold and Empty by Kid Rock. We have Lit, All Access, which was a documentary. We have more from Black Eyed Peas. And the list goes on, James. Lots of stuff these guys worked on. It's amazing. Like we said, they, they basically were responsible for, like... Half of the music videos we were watching as kids, so it's nuts. And the stories that he was telling about Method Man were the best. Talk about a great story! That was so good. And look, Emmett Emmett turned out to be the hero, so that's great. <laughs> so, get ready for more awesome stories like that because they keep flying. Emmett just is full of this stuff. It was such a blast talking to him. And let's get back to the interview, James. What do you say? Let's do it. Well, we'll jump to Jack White at this point. Your first project with Jack was in 2005 for the My Doorbell video. What was your first interaction with the White Stripes? Who
2: approached you? Did Jack White approach you? You know, at that point, you just submitted ideas for bands that, you know, would allow you to. So you were always hunting. And, you know, at that point, they were already massive and had done seminal videos. So they were just somebody I was dying to work with. I got at them because Ian Montone is a very good friend of mine. Yeah, Ian
0: Montone, Jack's manager, right?
2: Yeah, he started, you know, managing them and we became good friends. And when that record came out, I wrote on Blue Orchid and um, didn't get that one and then had a good idea for Doorbell and that idea just caught Jack's attention. You know, I remember sending him a lot of good visuals and things that, you know, I just knew how thorough of a person he must have been um, and how into style and look and aesthetic he was. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I tried to make the treatment very present in all those ways. And, and anyways, he just liked the idea. And then Ian gave me the vouch and, and we were on our way.
0: I'm thinking about my dog.
1: with your kisses, is not the man in my life I know
0: And I've been going to mystery mix I respect the art of the show Take back what you said little girl And why you're to take yourself back
1: too But I'll tell you the sit in the way
2: And my first meeting with him was at um gosh, I'm trying to think if I no, I only met his stylist. So I met him at the Magic Castle in LA, which is the perfect oh, wait, so place did you, to meet did, Jack White. Did you meet him with with Brandy St. John? Or, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we just talked yes. to
0: Brandy last night.
2: Oh great. <laughs> yeah, Brandy's the best. Also,
0: wait, the Magic Castle. Yeah, yeah that's the thing here. shopped
2: at in, in the LA. little in the little theater there. And I got to meet him you know that day when we were getting prepped up and um you know getting ready to shoot so it wow. was like you know hey what's up here we go you know like right into it I, I didn't get a whole lot of time to those days just never came with a whole lot of hang time right they were like we got to get right to work and and, and that's kind of where that one began but we were in the right sort of setting i mean now that i know him as well as i do i i you know always want to take a place like that he just loves stories and history and loves that type of stuff rolling into a project. He wants to know he's a real like American history or just historical person and and that location was what got him real excited and that just led to a good day.
0: Yeah, that's something I don't see a lot from his work. Well, not what you were saying, but like close-up magic isn't something we typically see a lot from Jack, but I'm very interested in knowing that he's interested in that. <laughs> because, yeah, I, because yeah. I want to see the type of close-up magic he wants to see. I know.
2: He would be great, and I remember him just sitting there as he does. He just loves to talk to the guy who works there, or, you know, that's he just lit up on all those things. But then, And then we had all those kids, and when those kids came in dressed and we got that stage set up, he, you know, whatever. I just remember sitting there going, wow, I never knew he could play the piano this well. You know, I hadn't seen... That out of him, yet? I'd only seen him, I'd seen him at the L. Ray Theater, I remember, before on the record prior, and it was just yeah. kind of a guitar shred fest, so it blew my mind in another way, but that was fun to see him on the piano, because I was like, I never knew he was so much like Jerry Lee Lewis, you know? <laughs> yeah,
0: where he's hopping around a bunch. Yeah. Were the kids' reactions, was that easy to get, or was that like a one-take thing, or...?
2: No, you know, it was a little, it, it was, yeah, it was easy to get. I would say we got that. You know, I had a puppet show there that day, too. So some of the kids' reactions are to a puppet show okay. that I did, I did, did and filmed, filmed it because it was, you know, whatever. whatever. It, it's, we're taking the curtain back here. Is like, that's how you need to do music videos. At right. the end of the right. day, there's, there's only so, so much. You still have to, have to make them interesting in that short period of time, and and you gotta always be thinking, okay, I'm working with kids, how am I gonna entertain them?
0: Dear ladies and gentlemen, the third man
1: presents the White Stripes, performing
2: i've already thought about how to make this look cool and what what's how to make jack happy now how am i going to make these kids shine and and so it was a little bit of everything but you see the kids start getting up and dancing and that's all jack
0: yeah right did he uh, play any other songs for the kids that day
2: i don't know i don't I think, think so but, you, you know he did, did I, I now i have, I have a great memory of him going, going off with, with them for a little, a little bit, bit but, but Man, no, i got to say, say that, I, I can't, can't get, get that, that deep in the archives. I'm pretty, pretty good, but <laughs> that would, I'd have <laughs> to stretch deep to pull out well, that memory.
0: Uh, the reason I ask is because, uh, you know, sometimes we've seen, unlike uh, James and I are big Beatle fans, and there was uh, a McCartney music video where he turned the video into a, just a big, long concert and stuff. And we know that Jack yeah. has a history, in fact, a recent history at that point of playing to uh, elementary yeah. high school. So we thought maybe. He played Bull Weevil and uh, Grinning in Your Face for those kids in the elementary school back in 2004. Right, yeah. So I was wondering if he busted out Last any second. real weird blues songs for these children.
2: <laughs> you know, it was it was kind of an intense day, i got to say. But when I look back at those days, I'm like, man, we really got after it um, work-wise. But I, I remember the one memory I have of that. I shot with a really good DP, and I shot on black-and-white reversal film. Yeah. So it's a real yeah. delicate film stock. And, you know, we had two great days of shooting and that was a big video for me and my brother. And I remember I went to the telecine transfer where you like lay the film off. And I was with the DP and he was this older, really dry personality guy. Kind of talk like this about About everything. everything. (laughs) Excited, sad. sad. And I remember I was having like a coffee going like, man, I did it. I got got the video I hoped for. I was there ready to like just, you know, watch film and marvel at it and i remember he gets a phone call from a lab and he's just like oh that's not good
1: (laughs) that's
2: not not good at all oh (laughs) Oh, boy you know and i was like what the heck is going on and basically like the film got dipped too much into the bath that you know and it's natural so information just started falling off of it. And so a lot of, a few of the roles were blown out and we started to feel like maybe the whole video was going to be ruined. And anyways, a few shots, you know, a few parts of the first day were ruined, but we, we bounced back and, and it didn't, Affected, but it's just a sign that you never like film is such a wild ride yeah. that uh, you're never you're never in the clear. You know it That's has frustrating aspects to it for sure.
0: That's Jack White's whole ethos is uh, doing yeah. stuff on things that can make mistakes or rolling with the mistakes that get made and and all that stuff. It seems like uh, you guys were in the thick of uh, during during that shoot. No God. But it seems like you and uh, Jack had a real kinship in regards to the art that you guys were making together. And we found that him and other artists like you and someone like Rob Jones, who does Jack's cover art and poster art, we found that there's always like a kinship between the two and Jack expresses an idea and the artist interprets it. How does that process work with you and him? Is it a collaborative effort? Is it more him? Is it more? Yeah,
2: different from Rob Jones, he is okay meeting me and... um, like I remember with Rob at the beginning, he never wanted to meet him because he's like, I have such a good rapport going with them over, you know, email that I don't want to, you know, I feel like the mystery might be a good thing. And uh, I always got a kick out of that. But you know, for us, the doorbell was more a hundred percent our idea. And he added all his personality of the band into it. That got us started And from there on out, everything's been collaborative, like if you thump 100% collaboration, you know, meaning it was like, let's do something in Mexico, let's address these types of thoughts and visuals, and then I put an idea around it,
1: that one was very
2: collaborative raconteurs on was just you know that reeks of a Malloy special, so <laughs> that that one was him. But then he gets us Paul Rubin and right. starts looking for ways to add to it. You know once you get going with a band, I, I myself, I'm a collaborative artist and I get a lot out of speaking to them. I think in some cases you realize like maybe the communication can sometimes (laughs) impede the process. Mm. He's somebody where if he's in the mood to talk, I'll I'll take it any time because it always is a real productive journey when you get to speak on on those levels with him. So it's had a lot of different shades, but we communicate really well. And I think all of our videos have had some form of collaboration. Some are more direct than others. And then on the films, it, it goes... You run the whole gamut, you know, where you're just you know, you feel like you're both leading him and chasing him yeah. all at once. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, and well, yeah. that's, that's that's just kind of the, the fun,
0: fun of, it. of it. Well we'll we'll get to the films in just a moment. I just had two quick questions. You touched on Icky yeah. Thump and Steady as She Goes. Icky Thump and Steady as She Goes, I think are his one and two top selling or most popular by every Fantastic. metric we've uncovered. In his entire wow. career, like those are the top two. And it's funny; you'd think it's Seven Nation Army, but actually, it, it's Icky Thump and Steady She Goes as number two again, according to like, chart, like chart positions and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. I guess uh, Icky Thump got the benefactor of being after a smash like Seven Nation Army, but it seems like Seven Nation Army caught fire in the last. 5 years. I
0: know? think that one's got like the mar- that one's more the marathon, you know. Icky Thump was more yeah, like yeah. The, the spurt cuz he had joined forces with Warner Brothers and stuff like that, but yeah. uh, just let's talk about those two videos very briefly. It, the Icky Thump video in particular, it's one of my favorites cuz it the song itself almost mirrors the kind of herky-jerky sort of quality of that song. How much of the style of the music do you allow to influence the approach of your filming. I assume you have to like I guess with music videos yeah. uh, you know appreciate the cadence of a song is that more in the editing process where you're sort of editing around the cadence of the song? How does that work?
2: I think it goes a lot of ways you know and some songs maybe aren't that good and, and you, got, <laughs> right. you gotta you got make sure your visuals tug them along Sure. but in Jack's yeah. case they're always such strong songs but I will say that one There was just such, um, that was such a big moment to be a part of that band, that release, that record, that song, how it felt getting that song. I was like, what the, you know, what a crazy song. And so I, I do think that song led the way to everything. Lenses that gave that quality. Those are lenses you'd see on a old Nirvana video or right. Right. something. You know, like swing and tilt lenses that allow you to get that energy. And then by that point, the DP that I have worked with on that video, Giles Gunning, who shot, you know, both of the long forms, um, he and I just were were into the band. So I think when you really know the music well you're you're anticipating things really well Mm -hmm. on all fronts and i think by that time giles and i had locked in to who jack was and and that film was the benefactor of like a real thorough relationship and and so yes we 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 were attacking it on the front end on that one um which i think that's why that thing has such a rhythmic quality you know
0: Yeah. yeah yeah And it especially echoes some odd sentiments today Rewatching it. It's bizarre.
2: I know. Crazy, uh, right? It yeah. really is. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, you know, whatever. Like anything. Like, blow up like the world trade for Biggie. It just feels prophetic in a way, you know? Where you're yeah. like, oh my yeah. god. They're that type of mind. You know, I wouldn't put it past any of those great artists. They just seem to kind of have good, whatever. They're just very intense, creative minds.
0: Yeah. And the Steady As She Goes video, the go-kart video, is First of all, amazing. I love that. The fact that Paul Rubens is in it, I forget about constantly, and then I'm reminded of and uh, delighted by. uh, Yeah. Whose idea was the video concept?
2: That was our idea. I'll give that one mainly to my brother, Brendan, in the sense of, like, I remember him saying, oh, we should do go-karts, and then we started to come up with names. And the fun part is, they all kind of jumped in, and Jack was all into his copper guitar at that point, so we started to get real life things to add into it. And then Paul Reuben jumped on because Jack's wanted to work with him. I mean, he was somebody who was brought up even for the If Thump video, again, when it was not known what it was gonna be, but that's somebody he had wanted to work with for some time. And, you know, it was just cool to see Jack in a band. I just felt this great sense of ease for him because yeah. he didn't have to be the only guy. So it was fun to kind of make a group video for him, it just had a different energy. It wasn't as thick, you know. It was kind of like a. It felt more like a Blake video where we were just running around having fun,
1: right. <laughs> and um,
2: and it just had a really different feel. But I'm sure that's why Jack likes these other projects because he gets to be a different um, person within them.
0: Oh, for sure. So, what do you got um, on your right? Will be PK. The
1: killer drives the beat of his own drum. BB <laughs> Bumpkin, fast on the straights, corners like an elk. A copper Kid,
0: if we play it straight, there's no way you can beat this guy. If hey, Kid, <laughs> got any advice for your fans? One thing we love about the raconteurs in general is seeing people like Patrick Keeler and Jack Lawrence shine over Jack a little bit yeah. in interviews and things. They're very funny people, and they add a certain element to any third-man project you get to watch. Were there any go-kart shenanigans? I'm assuming Jack Lawrence at some point drove a go-kart into the street at or something. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: We had every, you know, because they were just, you forget... They just all turn into little kids, and when you get on a go kart or a mini bike, even as a grown up, you you go right back in time. Mm-hmm. So the whole day was that way, where it was all all my friends are in the you know the pit crews, <laughs> and we were riding around. That was all in Griffith Park. Oh yeah, and we just owned Griffith Park for the day, and I just remember whatever. That one was more just a real fun, carefree shoot. It had a lot to do. But nobody got... Because it just didn't have any of the serious moments. Yeah. You know? and yeah. it, They didn't yeah. have to get up there and, like, play Icky Thump and be like, wow, people are going to be hanging on this. So I got to, you know... It just didn't have those types of characteristics. It was a real fun, carefree day. And then everybody was just so excited to have Paul there yeah. that it, it just... Whatever. The vibe was just really fun and, and sweet. And it just whatever had a great energy that whole day do you remember what
0: now i'm, I'm really going to be tapping the archives here i live like just yeah. down the street from griffith but do you remember where it yes. was
2: <laughs> yeah you know so it's right up that there's that tunnel yeah and you see it in the video it's where we shot all around where that tunnel is that goes through the, the hills you know kind of on the way up and then all on the fire roads the little dirt roads that you i mean you can get on if you start if you watch it again with that in mind yeah you'll see exactly you'll notice everything
0: all right i'm I'm busting out the go-kart i'm gonna take it up there
2: yeah (laughs) totally (laughs) yeah
0: let's move on just to talk about under great white northern lights here a bit because it's such an iconic film for the band can you talk a little bit about the evolution of it turning i mean it seemed to start as sort of a pure concert film but really morphed into something a lot more of a documentary journey of the swan song of this band can you talk to us a little bit about the evolution of that project
2: yeah i mean you know documentaries now that i've done quite a few of them they're really defined by maybe something you didn't expect to happen has to happen right and that seems to be where all whether i'm doing a boxing one or you know one in music it's like You know, if they stay straightforward, they kind of end up being cool. But if something you didn't expect happens, happens, it seems to shift it. And all of a sudden, you've got this new sort of film that you weren't even expecting. I found that to be where maybe the ones that have stood the test of time the best, that occurs. And that was certainly the case. I mean, this began with me sitting on Icky Thump shooting all night with him in the old Nashville train station and prison and we were just talking he was telling me about this tour of canada and how he's gonna play all these places he's never played before and i was like whoa you know are you gonna film it and he was like no i hadn't thought about that i just stayed on him about it like hey what's up are you gonna film that thing because it just sounds too good not to film you know like why don't you just let me and giles come and we'll do it and ultimately That's where we landed, was just meeting them at kind of the more colorful stops along that tour.
0: If you listen to a White Strips record, there's a lot of different types of songs and personalities
2: happening. your brain starts to forget, there's only two people doing it.
1: You
0: all right? Yeah. Good. I think the biggest misconception is probably that every single thing about The White Stripes is premeditated.
2: The music is really completely in charge of us. like um it was what you guys just mentioned obviously they ended up really being the last shows that they did i know they did a couple of more but that was really the the end of the band in most regards and it was real crazy to be celebrating their 10-year anniversary and kind of feeling the end of that band i thought it was really more the temporary end but it ended up being you know the end as we know it right And it was also odd because he was playing these places that have probably never even gotten a big band to come there you know yellow knife and white horse and yeah so everybody in the town just they didn't really know much about the band they just knew something big was going on in their town that night and they should probably go and so they showed up seeing like probably how people would have been with the white stripes back in the whatever early 2000s like showing up, not knowing much about them and getting their mind blown. And that was the coolest part of that film is like, it was a, it was like, we got to go back in time to watch like what it would have been like to see the first white stripe show. So I remember we showed up day one and we did Vancouver. We like kind of scouted in Vancouver. And then I think the next one was, was um, white horse. And we rolled up there and he did the show and he just, he was just going off. He felt really like possessed. And we ended that night going, Guys, we gotta get our sh- together. This guy's on another level right now. <laughs> and I remember me having to give everybody this pep talk, like, we gotta keep up with him, man. This is incredible. Just we were really lit up in a good way and it really got us in check because I, I don't think we slept for the next couple of weeks. Right. You know, like truly because the travel was so rugged, and they were doing it. We had a, a plane, but it was, like, no better than a Greyhound bus. Yeah. And yeah. so you couldn't sleep on it, and you just kept landing. And then he has so much energy that we'd be like, we got to go shoot B-roll of the town, and then, Jack, can you take, take a nap? nap? And, and we'll meet you when you get up. And suddenly we, we got, got no sleep the whole trip, trip. <laughs> but we were really... We just kind of, you know, um, drank beers and found our way through it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds exhausting, but the end product is beautiful and amazing. We were curious, were there any signs along the way while filming that something was imminently going to happen? Were there any kind of warning signs?
2: I felt like there was a sadness from Meg that I, you know, I'd worked with her a few times and I knew she was quiet. She hung with our crew a lot because I think we were you know, always the guys hanging out, having a beer. And um, just we were more just happy to be there, you know, and we would be all in our suits. And so no matter where we went, people thought we were the band. And so it was just led to a lot of funny moments where you're in these foreign cultures and everybody's kind of coming up to you and breaking the ice. So we were just enjoying ourselves. And then Meg, I think got along with me and Giles, my DP, really well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think you saw a general sadness. From her, not sadness because of anything more. You could just sense something wasn't there for her anymore with this process. Right. That's about all I can say. I thought it was That's more fine. of I'm tired or I'm a shy person in this crazy role now. And it's not, I don't know how it all happened, but I don't, the anxiety of this all, You felt that, but I I thought it was more just like I need to get off this zany tour because this is hard to do two shows a day and do a secret show and a full show. But I'll tell you what, when she started crying at the piano, you knew it was bigger. You know, you just as it plays in the film, that's how it played to all of us in the moment. Like wow this is you know an admission that i don't know how to construe it but there's this is a sadness and uh, that feels more like a goodbye or something more significant that certainly locked in and it was nothing we knew at the time but it felt that major good Lord,
1: good Lord, the I <laughs>
2: I've heard every word in this song
0: as far as I'm concerned and I, this is not just me blowing smoke up your butt like I think that's easily the most beautiful most haunting performance that was ever captured of that band I like we yeah. reference it all the time on the show because it's so raw and and it feels so real when you know yeah, I mean, when you were editing the film how did you arrive at the decision to sort of put it, it the was, end?
2: it was just the obvious ender you know it, yeah, it, by yeah. that point the band had you know announced it was taking a break you knew they weren't doing anything in the immediate future so it just felt like the ender i, I could tell jack grappled with it when i showed him early edits but he was so, you know, he was just real, I think, like anybody. I mean, he was wrapped up in the uh, how cool the journey looked. And and it was, a you know, whatever. I, I remember that night, Ben, Jack's cousin, you know, his family, Jack's family, was in full force through that whole tour. And I have a couple of fun stories about them. But Ben, I remember I had gotten that piano brought to the lobby thinking, okay, ten year anniversary, I think it'd be fun to end the film with a song after the ten year celebration at the piano at the end. And so we had it all set, not knowing obviously that it would have the emotional resonance that it did. But I remember Ben picked that song and what what a great choice it was, because I think that song is what evoked all the emotion, because when you get down to the lyrics, the song is, you know, it feels like it could have been about what was on her mind, in a way. Yeah. And I remember Jack had to write, he hadn't played it in a while, and he had to write, if you look, you can see some of the lyrics written on his hand. he (laughs) He had to, like, give himself a little cheat sheet, and I thought that was so endearing. Like, oh man, you... That's still like a little kid at school, you know, yeah. like you you did that. And, and when they came out and I remember that hug at the end and all of us, both Autumn Wild and myself, we were really floored by all of it. We were sitting there filming it, just feeling really honestly kind of strange to be there, you know, like, wow, I mean, should we keep filming? It was one of those moments where you're like, do I keep filming here? Is it disrespectful to do this? And we had gained such a relationship with them that I felt comfortable enough, but I sat and grappled with it, which you always know are some of those heavy moments in documentaries where you're confused by whether you should keep the camera going or not.
0: Right. I mean, even if it was just a release of tension or emotion from the tour and nothing more, the impact it has at the end of the film with the context of the band. It's something else. Like you, you you got to make the the right choice. I I think.
2: I think we had earned the right to be there even in that sort of moment by that day, you know, right. Uh,
0: Right.
2: If it was 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 another crew, I bet you uh, wouldn't have gone, but Autumn and I had become, I feel like part of their, we had our suits and everything. (laughs) Yeah. Bowler caps. Like we were fully in it with them, you know, committed in every way to what Jack was what he was up to and just felt like a lucky passenger. Right. Well,
0: speaking of commitment, we know Jack and Meg ate some raw caribou. How much of that did you ingest on the roof?
2: <laughs> I, I, I ate it but I threw it up. I could not get it down. It, that was a really hard day because as I told you, you know, we were hitting it hard in the sense of traveling. I just wasn't feeling in the mood to eat raw caribou in the morning. But we had to give like solidarity uh to to jack you know when i saw him do it but he's so much better at that hardcore yeah you know he yeah. loves stuff like
0: that yeah hair of the caribou that bit you
2: yeah i buckled i buckled on that one man that it was just too dense i couldn't i couldn't get it down i mean i i gave it a really solid go and i, I just couldn't i couldn't get it all the way down you know but what an awesome moment that was The film, because those those were were the things we just tried to get Jack to go out and do, you know, like, hey, why don't we try these things? And some of them worked and some of them will just be fun memories, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. You mentioned earlier that you have some Blackwell stories. Now, we had Ben Blackwell on the show a few months ago. He called us posers for not going to Third Man, the storefront. So we've been trying to get him back. Is there any Under Great White Northern Lights uh, dirt that you might have on him?
2: I mean, I just got one, we have a little interview with them in the house and it's used sparingly, but he's the one, he was laying on the bed, asking them questions and he looks like a corpse laying behind them, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a couple funny things, but I would just kind of feed him topics and he would ask them really good (laughs) questions about it. But then he also, I remember he gave us all the lacquer of like the first seven inch, that they did ever, Wow. Oh, wow. and that was oh, wow. cool. That was a good presentation uh, that he gave them on the tenth anniversary. And then I remember another just funny, more how funny the crew was. His uncle Eddie was there, who is Jack's brother, who has passed away mm-hmm. since. So R.I.P. Eddie, but he came in the van with us after uh, one of the shows, and the van driver was like had this little Tupperware thing of cookies and. One of my crew members is kind of outrageous in his behavior, just opened it and was like like convinced they were pot cookies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so he just started like going with it. He's like, oh, I got these pot cookies. And so everybody, not me, I wanna be clear, was eating them, you know, and Jack's brother, and then the lady walks in and was like what, what are you guys, guys doing with my dog biscuits? <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, and it was just a really funny um, oh, memory because I was just like, holy moly. But that was Jack's uncle. And then I remember uh, Ben caught, be making fun of him a ton after that. Um, but yeah, great. Ben Ben just was the whatever. I mean, we weren't white stripes historians and we had one with us.
1: Yeah. So
2: it was <laughs> super duper beneficial to have him to sit there and craft a way to make what we were going to film each night feel a little different than the night before. Yeah, And he was just so knowledgeable that it was just a great asset to have for us. Yeah, we
0: tease about Ben. I, I think what he does for Third Man is be a voice for not only the fans who might be interested in the kinds of product that they're putting out, but he's able to synthesize a lot of that stuff and frame it in the way that Jack might want it. So I think he provides just... An invaluable oh, yes. service. And he's such a, such a sweet out. guy. We had such a great time talking to th- Yeah, we love him. Um, man. Man. So we just have two more questions here. We just want to t- okay. touch on kneeling at the Anthem DC because I loved, loved this film, and it was great to chronicle this particular moment in Jack's history. Now You hadn't worked with him for quite a while, yeah. a wow. nearly a decade, when this project began. How did you two manage to link up once again to document the Boarding House Reach Tour?
2: I mean, Jack and I have seen each other uh, along the way quite a bit, you know, just through Ian. So we've all, I've tried to do a few of the videos from the past, maybe a dead weather one, just whatever, but nothing worked out. None of the, you know, whatever, just between idea and song and timing, just we never. Um, And also, you know, he's so smart. Like with the new project, you don't want to use the guy you've done 10 things with. You know, how can you be new? And I was always like, man, I already got away with so many. I don't need another (laughs) one in this lifetime. I'm already. But this came up and it was like one of those things where Amazon said they do it. He was feeling really good about the band and where they were at. And they had this big light show and they knew this venue and this new venue in D.C. was real. Solid, good looking felt like a bit, you know, a really good crowd was going to be there. We had two nights to work with, which always just makes it a little more advantageous from the time standpoint. Right. And so whatever, he just said, if Emmett's down to do it, get him. Cause the, you know, I just know what I'm signing up for. Right. And we were eager to, so we went out there and I just said, look, if we're going to do it, like, can we just do a little more than just the show and an interview? And, you know, then that gets his mind going on like, oh, I really, the exorcist stairs are by here and I really (laughs) want to go there. And, you know, he, that's when you start uncorking his great reservoir of a few ideas that he feels comfortable about. Those two days, you know, I look at that film, I got to watch it at the Ace Theater in L.A. when they premiered it, and I was like, wow, man, that was really impressive for basically two days. I flew out, shot for two days, and went home, and I think we were all just real excited to see each other, and he was in such a great mood, you know, the whole time. He was funny, and he did good interviews, and the band sounded really tight. And I know Carla, the drummer, well, and whatever, we just... We were off and running, and and I do agree that venue and that town just felt like a nice backdrop, and it led to some good interview stories about Fugazi shows and Bad Brains and things that ended up giving the thing a little bit more of a film-type feeling, more than just like it was nine live songs.
0: Yeah, it had texture.
2: Yeah, it had a little bit more of a structure, and and it felt like, okay, it was us doing it, the guys who did great White Northern Lights, and... It just started to take on a little more of like, oh cool, the it just felt more substantial than I than I thought it was gonna be, which is because we all had fun doing it.
1: Woman, don't you know what i it watch out with the rain.
0: And it has some great moments in it that really add to that. I know Paul's getting to the next question, but just to let you know, the Tesla joke that Jack makes when he goes to the gas station kills me. I love it. It's great. It's fantastic.
2: It is good. I mean, all of those little things were were really good. You know, I mean, the school was bitching, like, to show up there and have the kids get into it the way they did. And I, I just thought we kind of, like, ended up going out there and, and making something real... Worthwhile. I know all they thought about was like, you know, I saw Carla like a few months later and she's like, oh man, that was like our first shows. We got so much better. And I'm like, well, you guys were killing it then, I'm sure, but that's all they ever seemed to hang on, you know? Like, we weren't as tight as we were two weeks later, but, you know. I'm like, like, we caught, you know, we, we were all, we made something entertaining and memorable, so we'll, we'll
0: leave it at that. Right. Sure. I was lucky enough to be at that Ace Hotel screening of the movie as well, and you had a great, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you had a great Q&A there, and I just wanted to, uh, for the people who weren't at that screening, you had a great answer for how you chose some of the songs that were included in the film, and I was wondering if you would just briefly run down that thought process for our listeners.
2: Well, you, you know, know, I, I think, think for, for us, it was, us it was just, just, I, I mean, mean, I, I forget, forget what with prophetic, prophetic things i said that <laughs> i'm sure it was really good but I, I feel like everything now you've got you're dealing with a whole career you know he gets to go up there now and play things from the white stress catalog from the tours, from the dead weather from his mass range of covers and classic things and then the focus on his new record and so for us i really wanted to showcase the new record in a cool way because I feel like whatever I know that's always a big goal of every artist their new record is a big deal to them so I think we just tried to find a nice spread for everybody but you know I liked also being able to show a couple of the new songs at the school and try to find ways in which you capture different versions of them you know and then I always like our trademark in Northern Lights was like a little medley where it kind of does like four or five songs in one burst. And so I tried to also yeah. land one yeah. of those because that, that was like a little bit something I really enjoyed about the Northern Lights thing when we got to mash up a few songs together because it's fun to trip out. And I also like how Jack always likes our edits. And it's like, after I saw the how you edited in the thing, I re-edited it on the live record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That's so cool. So cool to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: we have one more question here, and again, thank you so much for for. for yeah, you guys it. um, it's been um, an awesome um, talk. talk. You've specialized in music related projects for about two decades at this point. What is it about the visual illustration of an audio medium that keeps you inspired?
2: Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's more like you know, you grow up and you know you're one thing, and you get like want to just be good at that. For me, initially, it was always like surf movies were good to good music and they were always memorable because the song mixed with that one surfer's talents was like the perfect blend. And then it moved into like trailers. And then you always realize, wow, if I put a banging song at the end of this, even a crappy movie, everybody thinks it's a good movie. And I started to realize that music was just what I knew well. And it was where my instincts Maybe I felt felt the most confident in them. And even today, as I pitch commercials or features, I feel like I'm always speaking about the music as a huge part of how the film will be. And so it's just kind of who I am, you know? And so when I got a format that really, truly blended them together, it just was something I always am a sucker for, you know? I mean... Mm-hmm. I'll be in the middle of something that I'd have my heart into. And if Jack called and said, I want to do this video, I would just find time to do it Mm -hmm. as I am next weekend with Vampire Weekend. Just like there's certain bands I enjoy working with. And it was just a format that really, whatever you, you sense that you have good instincts in it and then you start doing it. And then it becomes this nice blend of like something you're good at and something you get paid to do. And, and something you find yourself getting, still to this day, more refined at, you know? Yeah. So I just have always, always enjoyed it, you know? And I'm doing a, a biggie doc for Netflix right now that is, I'm excited because that one's like music, real great storytelling, because it's kind of more of a coming of age story. But that feels like a new frontier for me, because it's kind of, even though it is music, it's much more about the story. Right. Yeah and how i'm telling it so i'm i feel like i'm you know whatever i i hope to keep expanding i did a feature film last year that i was encouraged by and i I hope i can just keep growing but i'm I'm just a sucker for music and the institution of i mean it's still crazy to me that everybody cites the last waltz still as like the, the movie you're you're like you know in normal cinema every year some movie enters the race as one of the great movies right in the rock genre music films you're still citing the same movies you know it's still don't look back it's still the last waltz you know you'll probably slip in stop making sense and then you see with great white northern lights it it at least entered the conversation of one of the good ones but there aren't many and so i'm still hell-bent on adding to that, if I can, because I always go, like, and then, you know, you see, clearly, to this day, there's so much interest in music cinema, you know, I feel like every meeting, you have a music story, it's still something people have an insatiable appetite for, look at Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, like, it's out there, so I'm more eager now, like, to make a movie like Control, like, that just the perfect blend of, like, you know the style i have in the music space but had a cool narrative and was a, a worthwhile biopic
0: yeah i'm really looking forward to that biggie documentary that's going to be amazing yeah um,
2: it's going to be good i'm feeling extra confident in it right now is
0: your brother making a tupac one <laughs>
2: yeah, no okay. but but alexander mcqueen mean, excuse me um steve mcqueen is so oh, i've got wow. stiff competition with the competitor um
0: <laughs> Uh, we hope it won't end in a shootout. Let's... Yeah,
2: no doubt. I mean, mine's based on his life, so that's the good thing. I'm not even addressing. Mine is more about this kid who grew up with this real big dream, right. you yeah. know, and really focuses on the positive.
0: Big positive for us is getting to talk to you today. Emmett, thank you yeah, so thank much.
2: thank you guys for all the good questions. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thanks guys. Have a great day. All, all right, right, talk you to later. you later.
0: Bye-bye. All right, James. Enough is enough. We got through this here interview with Emmett Malloy. We loved it. We had a great time. We want to thank Emmett, but we also want to thank you out there, our listeners. Mm. This is the no-nonsense Paul talking. Look at him. No-nonsense thank our listeners let's get to it okay james i'm gonna put you on the spot oh man I have a baby in my arms it's okay. a little hard for me to scroll right now all right so why don't you thank some people why don't you why don't you do that i guess i will then let's go with facebook today why not it's, it feels like a facebooky kind of day uh, we'd like to thank some people who were talking to us tweeting at us uh facebook and at us specifically today facebook and at us uh, so thank you to Francinetti. Souza's, thank you so much. Thank you to Luis Caratero, Claudia Santos, Regina Claudia, Samara Silva, Pablo Carvalho. Thank you so much for like you liked everything. It looks like you liked everything, and you know what? We like you for that. So thank you guys so much, Keith Brandstetter, Kent Greens. Thank you guys so much. Yes, for all the likes and the and the talking and the comments and the whatnot and the. And the who how so thank you guys. Yeah, we got a lot of new listeners after that third man ten year celebration episode, and it, you know that was fun for me to listen to too because you know it it felt a little like I was there, and I wasn't, and you were, and you had a great time, and we're all very happy for you. But I'm happy we did that episode because you know it gave you a little taste, gave you yeah. a something something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was happy to I was happy that you were able to listen in. And hopefully some of you yeah. listeners who weren't able to go were able to listen in, too. And so we're happy to have brought that to you guys. Yeah. And uh, speaking of our listeners, we have a couple of regular listeners we want to shout out here. We have Nick Langford, Lang You Up From The Heavens. We have Shane Jamson. The Ben mm. Jam Session, or the... S- no, I'm sorry. The Shane Boy You've Always Done. What What a <laughs> fool I was. What a fool. Yes. The Shane Boy You've Always Done. We also have Vito Hicks, the Flying Vito. Whom wrote the sloppiest of reviews. And so thank you, Vito. I owe you yeah, one we, Carl Butterball sketch. And we'll get to that in a moment. And we'd like to also thank... Uh, how about our third woman in spirit, Callie Durga? And uh, a special shout-out to Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation Kate. We're... we're uh, <laughs> We're happy to hear that your Meg picture disc survived the recent turmoils that you went through at your home. We're thinking about you. We care about you. We know that Meg picture disc meant a lot to you, and we're happy that made it out okay. So we love you, Kate. We all love you. Hope you're hanging in there. Good vibes from all our listeners to uh, Kate McCoy, The Bones of the Operation. How about that? Yeah. You know, if there's any, any way the Third Men community can help... Let us know. Not yes. This. And if you'd like to uh, to be one of these people that we shout out here on the show, you can do so by going on Facebook.com slash Third Men. You can go on uh, Twitter at Third Men Cast, Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com, WordPress, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You could email us at at thirdmenpodcast.gmail.com, or you can find our show on Pippa, where we host it. Just search The Third Men on pippa they are a wonderful service that provides us with great service and great customer service and they've gotten our show on many different platforms that we wouldn't have been able to reach without them so thank you pippa pip on down to pippa as i always say james james Mm. loves pippa i do have a deep and romantic love for pippa james i always i've always said you you're putting the pippa on a pedestal Sorry, we would, you know what? Uh, I, know, I know we were past the shout outs already, but I'd also like to give a special shout out to friend of the show, Ryan Brady, and friend to our uh, sister podcast, the Yesterday and Today podcast, Ryan Brady, who is one half of the co hosting duo of the Take It Away podcast. He just released a brand new single today of his own Ooh. music under the artist name Abject Joy. And it's called It's Good to Have You Back. It's a wonderful song. It's available on iTunes and Spotify and all those great places. And so, hey, everybody, check that out because I really like the song. And I think you might like it too. And uh, you should check out it's good to have you back wherever you get your music. That's a great idea. And yeah, everybody should uh, should look that up. Uh Ryan Brady and Abject Joy. Yeah, it's it's I think it's just under Abject Joy is the as the artist name, which maybe we'll play a little maybe we we'll play a little tiny snippet right here, as a little plug, maybe.
1: I can hear them saying
0: That sounded nice, James. You know what it brought me? brought me abject joy. Abject joy? Yes. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, and if you'd like to find our show on YouTube, we, we throw some animations on there. You can search us on there. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, if you write us a sloppy review... Uh, oh, this- so sloppy gotta be sloppy A five star sloppy review we will mail you a sketch of carl butterball along with a little bit of podcast swag so send in a a five star review screen cap it and email it to us and we'll we'll send you some free stuff so including free artwork by me uh so that's that's weird that i'm doing that but hey yeah i don't know how to explain this to you listeners if you write nonsense just complete nonsense. I mean, I would say Vito is a good example of this nonsense. As long as there's five stars on it, we'll s- James will draw something for you and send it to you. What are you waiting for? Yeah, that's the kind of sloppy podcast that we're getting, that we've got here. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, and uh, as always, we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. I think we pretty much got to everything right. I don't have the link list open anymore, but there we are. Yeah, I think that's it. Here it is, um, your moment of zen. Is that what we say at this point? Yeah, that's exactly what we say, (laughs) Paul. and uh as always i'll be looking for a home in a green screen ninja costume losing my weed (laughs) and i will be looking for a home digging through duffel bags terrified looking for that weed you know what paul it's in that beer case we forgot about threw away in the dumpster (laughs) see you next time i guess bye
2: Merge once more. Yeah, we'll do it again. Pray for the best. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) It's all right, man. It's kind of a... We got a lot of of lines in play, and I'm running through an app. I'm running through an app right now to record my voice, so who knows what will continue to happen. Crossing (laughs) fingers. (laughs) It will be an adventure. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure.
0: My motivation... No. uh, Thank you so much to the famous out there for doing that. (laughs) Uh, 420, blaze it. (laughs) Oh, she doesn't like 420, blaze it. (laughs) Cancel the blazing. Paul is affixing Uh, a backwards baseball cap fitted, and he is shaving his beard into a soul patch. Uh, Going through that videography was like, oh my god, he did this? Oh my god, he did that? It's like all my favorite stuff from like a long time. So uh, it's amazing. It's amazing to talk to you, Emma. Thank you.
2: Yeah, cool. I know, I look at that same list sometimes with a different version of oh my god, I did this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'd ever want to cross anyone from from that shoot... From the Wu-Tang clan? No. (laughs) (laughs) Let alone uh, have them think that I stole their weed. We're just gonna... We'll we'll have it on so we can, like, wink at each other and stuff. We're at a point in the, um... in the schedule where all the issue 69s from the rebirth issues are happening, (laughs) and it has brought every beating to a screeching halt. I gotta go get this baby. Hold on. Paul's gotta go get that baby. So, <laughs> well, obviously... You were basically responsible for all of Total Request Live. <laughs> I know. I don't know. Do Carson's checks still cash? Yeah. We've been admiring your work for quite some time, okay. uh, and uh, so it is it is really great to, to be talking to you today. Hello, Emma? Um I don't know if Paul's there. Paul, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm right. here. Okay. okay. Yeah, come on, Paul. Where's my phrase? <laughs> How do you, dude? <laughs> well, we got a lot of that coming up because just going through yeah. your, uh, my boss recently uh, broke broke his foot playing volleyball on the beach. Yes, right? it's a hardcore <laughs> sport, guys. Hardcore. <laughs>
1: Nonsense.